you know, it is still snowing. I think just check, so don't worry. You know, I can go longer, so the snow might stop. You know? Well, I can go until three. You know, I probably have enough material. Keep it all here safe and sound and warm until three. It, that's right. We even got food. We could be just, you know, we could do part one and part two around the tables, and uh, part three is called organized nap time. Um, and I'm reminded with that of um, the joke that Master Kenny's told us, told me many times. Uh, what would we have this morning if all of you laid down end to end in the pew? More comfortable battles. <laughs> You know, so, uh, you know, and, and, and I get that, uh, you know, uh, so feel free to stretch out, you know, Sterling, if you need to go to the other end so you can lay down one way and Chad can lay down the other way, uh, that'll work, you know, um, with that, you, what, you going to wake up all Rose? She was kind of almost going to sleep a little bit, but she's decided, nope, it's time for second wind or, or third wind here. Uh, but maybe it's an appropriate title that I'm going to ask you to persevere over these next moments. But what does perseverance, what image comes to mind when you hear someone say persevere? Push through. Push through. Funny, yes, Shannon knew what she was doing. So you know, the, the fun of the bulletin, and those of you online, if you pick up our notes and our app, uh, you will see that it's a snowman hanging on for dear life. Uh, you know, kind of like, uh, don't, don't hate me, but I'm thinking, you know, Olaf, you know, loves the sunshine but has no clue that that's what would, you know, melt him. But he's all happy about that. You know, press on. Uh, what else do you think of with perseverance? At least you were going to say something, right? Race. What else? Finishing well. Keep trying. We normally don't think of perseverance though when everything is going well, do we? There, there's this idea that you only persevere when you really probably don't like what is going on around you. Which means perseverance is also a word we do not like. Because we want everything to be okay. We want uh, not to have to struggle very much in life. The American way, to some extent, is the easy way. And, and, and we don't necessarily like to persevere. But James is calling us, and all of Scripture really calls us, to this lifestyle of perseverance. I believe it is the writer, the speaker of Hebrews, who says, let us persevere in this race that's been marked out before us. And we can do that, though, when we understand that Christ is our aim. You persevere when you know there's something solid going on. And, and we talked about anchors last week and the important purpose they serve. But you don't need an anchor if the sea is calm. You don't need an anchor if everything is going all right. 
You only need an anchor when you, you're afraid you're going to get buffeted one way or another when the storms of life come. And we have to understand that Christ is our anchor. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. He said, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, one, it is impossible for God to love. Do you know that? You, you know that. You just raise your hand, girlfriend, and you say, amen. Yeah, that's you. You know, God cannot love. There is only one thing that is impossible for God. To love. He is not able to lie. And because of that, we who have fled and take hold of the hope set before us may be encouraged because he cannot lie. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our feet. What's the second thing? Two unchangeable things. One, God cannot lie. Two, Jesus is a priest forever. And he is advocating for you and for me right now in the inner sanctuary of God. That is why Christ is our anchor if we will allow it. He is unchanging. I'm not sure where the verse is, but it talks about God. Being, and Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, that idea, it's sure, it is firm, and it is secure. And so we have this hope. And because of this hope, you know, that we can have this hope when things are not as they seem. James here says, those of you who are in humble circumstances, or those of you who are lowly, who are looked down upon, may you take pride in the fact that you really are tall and light. So there is hope for you. <laughs> Though you may be small in stature, you can be high. That, that's the terminology. He's talking about different heights. He's not literally meaning whether you are four foot five, or three foot, or seven feet, or anywhere in between. But see, when things do not seem as they are, we need to understand the truth of what is going on. And he also goes on to say, those of you who are tall, humble yourselves. Take pride in your low stature when things are not as they seem. We have two words to add in the English language, and these two words. One of it is an oxymoron, where things seem to contradict, or a paradox. Not a paradox, a paradox. And we need these two things. Why? Because a paradox will make us stop and think about what is really going on in front of us. What Paul, or not Paul, what James is saying here when he says to the believers, those of you who are humble take pride in your stature. They're supposed to go, wait a minute, James. What do you cut? Wait, let me rethink this. He's also saying, 
to those who are rich in the faith. Meaning those Christians who, by world standard, is rich, are rich. They need to stop and make sure they're seeing things as it really is, not what may be in front of them. And I believe he's in, inherently saying we, as the people of God, are to be walking paradoxes. Where people look at us and go, wait a minute. You're living in a way that doesn't seem to be congruent with what you're going through. It doesn't seem to be the way it ought to be. Where they go, wait, what? Uh, I don't get you. I mean, I do, but I don't. No wonder he said in the verse of the prayer, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many times. When the world thinks you ought to be beaten down, there's a, a, a confidence that starts to brood up. Not that everything is going to be all right. I have that song. I'm not sure what song it is, but I have that song in my head. You know. But that there's a confidence that is going on. And so we are reminded of that. We have a, a statement that we, we have that I want to maybe uh, dismantle a little bit this morning. Because I think James speaks to it, and, and it goes something like this, or the question is, will God give me more than I can handle? We like to say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Please don't throw tomatoes at me or your shoes. I don't believe that statement is scriptural warfare. I don't think James would agree with that one bit. I don't think there's biblical truth that God won't give you more than you can handle. And here's why. Look what, look what he says here in verses 12, verse 11 and 12. For the sun rises, but scorching heat withers the plant. The blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. The same way the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. But blessed is the one who perseveres under your trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, this idea, well, God can be more than I can handle. In my viewpoint, what that is saying is what we're doing when we ask that question, we say it is we're looking at ourselves. We're seeing God as the one who causes pain, who causes suffering, who causes the issues. And as if he says, okay, Janet, how much can you bench press today? Can you do 250? With help. Could you do 300? With more help. Okay? But what we're doing when we say, well, God will give you more than you can handle, or way more than I'm looking at what I can do. I'm looking at what is upon me. And James says, that's not the focus. The focus isn't on whether or not you can handle it. The focus is on who we are in Christ. We must persevere because as we reflect on who Christ is. That's why, as James is starting out, he's putting things upside down. And he's saying, you going through trials, consider it joy. Not because you can handle it, but if you persevere to the end, you will get a victor's crown. John 
in the letter to one of the churches in Revelation. He doesn't say, God won't give you more than you can handle. He says this to the church in, in Smyrna. The church, there's nothing wrong, supposedly, for this church in Smyrna. There's no uh, default. There's no defect there. He says, these are the words of him who is first and last. Who died and came to life again? Who is that? Jesus. That's why my Bible has it in red. Okay? It makes it a little easier. He says, I know your afflictions, and I know your poverty, yet you are rich. Talk about a paradox. He says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Hello? Please, he would say, please, we're not what I can suffer. I can't handle it anymore. It's not about what we can handle. It's about who he is. He says, do not be afraid to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution. But be faithful even to the point of death. Why? Because I will give you life as your victor's crown. Blessed are you who persevere under trials of any kind and consider it pure joy. Because the Lord has promised those who love him a crown of life. When we are persecuted, when we face trials and temptations and testing, it's not about what we can handle, it's about who Christ is. We must reflect out. That's the paradox of James. Is we don't want to persevere because we don't think we can handle it anymore, but Christ is saying, look what I have in store for you. Just keep moving forward one step at a time. But perseverance is hard. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Jesus told a story about perseverance. He called the parable of the talents. He had three servants who, who did things, but only two of them said he got to say, well done, good and faithful servants. See, we think to some extent that is the default status of believers when we get the glory. I think Paul makes it clear in one of his letters that there are some people who get into glory and get into heaven because the ticket to heaven is who do you say Jesus is? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? But everything we do from beginning to end will be put into a refiner's fire. And there are some that get in, as we would say, by the skin of their teeth. What they have to show is nothing. It gets burnt up. There's no refining of straw. There's no refining of, of you know, any of hay or anything of the like. It's hard work. We all want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But are we willing to do the word of perseverance, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? It's not how we start that matters. It's how we continue on. Time and time again, the writers of Scripture remind us that we must continue on. Paul, and I may have said this before, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, which is one of your uh, devotions this week, you know, he talks about 
I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that I, I, after I had preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. If there's anybody we think uh, should have been confident in this race he was running, Paul would probably be at the top of the list. But Paul says, I'm not going to become lazy and, 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 and content and settle for where things are. I'm going to continue persevering on so I do not miss it. And it is only in 2 Timothy where after many of years we read where, where Paul says uh, these kind of words. He says in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, award me on that day. But not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance, who have fought the good fight. I believe we're coming into a moment in the history of the church where there's going to be some pruning going on. I believe we have been for years, whether we'd like to admit it, we have been in this time that I call exile. The church is no longer the majority culture in our world. It hasn't been in other parts of the world for many, many years. But in the Western world, at least in America, we have been the majority why you are not there anymore. And that means something different now. I don't think it's a bad thing per se that we are not in the majority. But I believe it also means we must learn perseverance now. It isn't going to be easy. Not because it, it may be extremely difficult, but as he says, as James says here in, in, in this first chapter, he's reminding the rich not to get caught up in what they have, but there's something greater in store. Uh, even the poor, don't get caught up in what you don't have. There's something greater in store. Our focus has to be farther out than what we would like. And that will be perseverance. We must continue on. I think actually some of the best days are ahead for the church. Because we are not in the world. Because now our lives have been a chance to really shine and reflect and look different. Look countercultural. You want to know something? Perseverance is countercultural. It isn't the default status of life. We can be countercultural by persevering to the end. That's what Paul, that's what James, I keep calling Paul. That's what James is. But we can only persevere when we understand it's worth it. We are rewarded. Time and time again, Jesus talks about doing your acts in secret. He wasn't necessarily meaning not that anybody would ever know. But what he was saying is the, the, the quote-unquote faithful of the day would go out into the street corners and say, hey, I want you to see how much I'm getting. You know, the, the rich would put in the offering plate not not soft. I mean, they would let the thing jingle really loudly. 
you know, we, we take care of that, we give you envelopes, and we have, we have padding on the bottom of the plate so that no one knows what you're given, okay? And that's fine. But back then, it was like, they, they would uh, proceed up, you know, make sure people were watching, and be like, look here, here's a big fat check to the temple. And Jesus said, they already got their reward. They, they don't need anything else, everyone's seen it. We get to continue to be faithful, and God will see. As I went to the bathroom while Joyce was praying, uh, I heard the story the older kids were reading or hearing was the words of Jesus about but when you pray, go into your closet and pray in secret. And God sees what is done in secret. God sees when you're persevering on, no one else may know it. But God notices, and he will reward you. We may, or later this year, go through the letters to the churches of Revelation. But every one of those letters has something to say about persevering on to the one who is victorious or faithful. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want that tree. I want that fruit. I don't know what it'll fit like. I hope, I hope it doesn't taste like tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. But you know what? If God says this is what it is, I'm going to be like, okay, give me some tomato. You won't eat salt on that one, I bet. You know, I don't see what you eat salt on that. You know, he says again, as we read, uh, the victor's crown. He then goes on to say, whoever is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. That bread that came from heaven of the Old Testament, God produces it again. So you can have some of that. I'm curious what that tastes like. Does it taste like the really bad communion wafers that are pre-packaged that just kind of melt in your mouth and have no flavor? It might be chicken. Who knows? Let's put me out the quail. You know, maybe we do quail too, you know. But you see what he's doing. He, we, we can do this. He goes on to say, you know, and also I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I kind of quoted this with Helen. She has a name, because she sat in the back row, and one of my fond memories of Helen is for the first three or four months, I'm not sure how long, I called her the wrong name every Sunday. <laughs> and she didn't tell me for the longest of time I was calling her the wrong name every Sunday. Until someone else let me know. And I finally said, Helen, why didn't you tell me? She just got this kind of honest smile and said, well, I was seeing how long you could go for something of the like. But you know what? When she stepped into glory, she got a new name. A name that only her, or only she knows. It is the name that Jesus has in store for her. The name he has in store. If I will be victorious and faithful to the end. Can you imagine that? When you hear that name, and everything in you goes, that's me. He's calling me. Ow! But you don't get it if you don't persevere. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we think because we are saved, we can just sit and not continue on in the faith. And those of you who have yet to accept Jesus, it's not going to be easy. And the task isn't how quickly you start, but it is do you finish? I have a soft spot in my heart every time I see a marathon race. And one of my feeds. I don't, I don't care about the first people. Who cares? 
I mean, yeah, you did it in one hour. Great. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for that person who's coming at the end. You know, the ones that you can actually tell they did something. I mean, the people at the beginning, I wonder if they didn't sweat. You know what I mean? The Olympic athletes, they make it look way too easy. You know, I know it's hard work. I know they've done the work. But I ain't going to be in that first batch. Oh, I'm not even going to be in the first half. I'd like to think I would be. I'm going to be at the back end. And if I ever do one, you better believe I'm going to make sure even if I have to crawl to the end, I crawl to the end. I have a soft spot for those of you. He said, regardless of what has happened, I will keep moving on. Our perseverance will be rewarded. Why? Because God notices our struggles. God notices. Why do we want to give up? We think no one notices. We think that no one is willing to say, and Scripture time and time again says, God notices. My favorite story with this in mind is the story of Hagar and Sarah. Sarah sends Hagar out. Sarah sends her out, and, and Hagar has come to the end of her road, per se. And she puts Ishmael down and she goes to hide because she has no more water. And she says words similar to this in my head and from my memory. I can't bear to see him die of thirst. But God shows up. And we get this promise, this name of God, El Lord, the God who sees. God sees. And unlike many on our list, unlike those of you and I, God doesn't get cataracts. Praise the Lord. God doesn't need glasses to see. He sees and he notices our struggle and God will not forget those who persevere. God cannot forget. As he said, I will forget. It is impossible to lie. We also need to be reminded, not only does he see, but God is good. God is gracious. And God is good. See, we can have some view. This view of God, he may notice, but he, he's too far out there to really care. Or God notices, but he won't really give anything about it. And time and time we see that the character of God is one who says, I will provide. Not maybe on earth. Will God give you more than you can handle? Maybe. I don't think God gets it. The world will. But if you're faithful, he says, welcome home. See, there's a different perspective. There is there not? Welcome home. Sometimes I wonder if we've made this world too much of home. But we're not sure we want to be home. There. God is gracious. 
good and given. At the heart of all that, we must remember our true identity. What is our identity? It's not in this world. We're just, as the old song says, passing through. But we need to remember. That is a warning that James is giving to the Christians there. Those of you who are poor or humble, take pride in your true identity is in the one who seeks, who is above all. And those of you who are rich, may I say, we are the rich ones of the world. Time and time again, we are the rich ones. But if we remember our true identity, it's not what we have, but it is whose we are and who we have that says, that's my work. Right there. We sing it. I am loved. I'm valuable. I am pure. I am healed. It is how we live out the way that also matters. 
to maybe be more like you, allowing you more and more space in our life each and every day. Lord, we thank you for this. And we pray this in the name above all things, the one who endures, the one who gives, and the one who will promise with the crown of righteousness of life, the one who will call us by the and we will be looking forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're